I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. It's Thursday, January 13th, 2022, the 358th day of dystopia. Truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Fewer people are convinced by the story each day as they begin to see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. The time for allowing them to make us feel like strangers in our own country is over. We are Americans. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. This is the end game. Before we get started, I just want to thank everyone again who has decided to donate to the show. It is an honor that you are committed to helping this show continue. So if you want to do that and you haven't, you can go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator, ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. Also, if you can't do that, which is totally fine, and I know people are having a hard time in the last couple of years, so no worries, but the best thing you can do is share the show with your friends. So let's get into it. And we will start with the illegitimate president, Joe Biden, begging the big tech oligarchs to help him enforce his narrative as it collapses. We're standing in the way. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, do it. Personal choice impacts us all, our hospitals, our countries. I make a special appeal to social media companies and media outlets. Please deal with the misinformation and disinformation that's on your shows. It has to stop. COVID-19 is one of the most formidable enemies America has ever faced. We've got to work together, not against each other. We're America. We can do this. The president, in quotes, of the United States of America is asking the biggest and most powerful corporations in the world all of whom track you and have all of your data to censor American citizens. That is what he is asking. That is exactly what he is asking. And it's amusing that he's doing it publicly. He has certainly already done it privately. He literally genuinely has employees from Facebook, Twitter, and Google in his administration. And those Positions were promised before Joe Biden ever became fake president. But he's doing it publicly so that he can attempt, at least, to build up some public support and pressure for this idea so that the tech companies can go along with public pressure. It's not the president asking. Oh, it's the public asking us to censor more of the public. And it's also funny that he muttered shows. Is he talking about the mainstream media? Is he talking about podcasts? He might be talking about podcasts. I talked on the show last week about the study they commissioned from the Brookings Institution that said 
Podcasts were the place of very dangerous speech. So now they need to censor those. And I speculated that we would see a push to try to censor podcasts. And I'm not saying this is definitely that, but it might be. And Joe Biden wants to bring Americans together. Come on, we're America. We need to be united, not divided. And the only way to unite us is to speak to the people in one singular voice and make sure that they can't ever hear anything else. And I talked yesterday about his story about the G7 leaders where they ask him, oh, America's back, but for how long? How that actually exposes the fact that all of them realize Joe Biden didn't win the 2020 election. Well, what he's saying today exposes the fact that the narrative has collapsed. We are in the narrative endgame. He is pushing actively and publicly for more censorship because they have completely lost the narrative. The central narrative basically no longer exists. We can blow that up in a day right now. None of what they're trying is working. And if you don't believe me, here's more. This is from Breitbart today. John Nolte, CNN lost 90% of its audience. Pompous perverts, pedophiles, and propagandists don't sell. Who knew? CNN saw a sharp decline in viewership the first week of 2022, with a nearly 90% drop both overall and in the critical demographic coveted by advertisers, reports the Daily Mail. Wait, there's more. The network averaged just 548,000 viewers during the week of January 3rd, a precipitous drop to the nearly 2.7 million viewers from the same week in 2021. But, but, but. Wasn't the first week of the year the same week when CNN went all in to turn a mostly peaceful protest against vote fraud into a terrorist insurrection? Why, yes, yes, it was. Looks like no one cared. CNN didn't just lose 90% of its overall audience. The far left propaganda outlet lost 86% of its viewers in the 25 to 54 age group, which is the group that sets advertising rates. CNN also saw an 86% decline in the much desirable 25 to 54 demographic with a paltry 113,000 tuned in last week compared to the 822,000 CNN averaged a year ago. And this is particularly interesting, right? Just to pause for a second, because we can't imagine that they're making up the rest of their audience with 18 to 25 year olds or younger. That simply is not happening at all. And the leftist narrative used to be that only old stodgy people were conservatives. But it seems like the vast majority of CNN's audience is 55 or older. The network, which was swallowed up by AT&T in its merger with Warner Media last year, has been plagued by high profile scandals, most notably the firing of its top rated primetime star, Chris Cuomo, after the anchor was found to be helping his sex pest brother, Andrew, try to beat harassment allegations, which led to his resignation as New York's governor. On top of Chris Cuomo's endless scandals, there's the sexual assault allegation against basement rated Don Lemon. There's Jake Tapper's guy who who's accused of sex crimes against children. There's Jeffrey Tubin who masturbated in front of his colleagues. And isn't there one more? Oh, yeah, the accused pedophile who worked for Chris Cuomo. And let's not forget that Chris himself admitted to grabbing a woman's butt. Here's the status of CNN's primetime. CNN also shed 89% of its primetime viewers among its key demographic and 91% of viewers age 18 to 49. 
The former television news leader also failed to maintain a strong viewership on January 6th, something its anchors boasted about the prior year. In 2021, the network averaged 5.3 million viewers on January 6th. This year, it failed to reach 1.5 million during any hour of the day, despite having special programming marking the anniversary of the riot. Who would have ever guessed that smug, joyless anchors spewing lies, bigotry, hate, violence, and propaganda would not sell like hotcakes? And this is not due to some drop in the country's desire to consume news. On the contrary, Fox News is doing just fine. And this is from the Daily Mail again. While CNN's ratings declined last week, Fox topped the rankings for its coverage of January 6th. It was also the number one ranked cable news network during President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris's anniversary remarks. Oh, isn't that interesting? People weren't watching them on CNN. During the first week of the year, the network averaged 1.4 million total viewers, only a 15% drop from the same period in 2021. MSNBC lost 67% of its total audience last week, 80% of which was among its key demographic. So even the state media propaganda outlets on the left have lost most of their leftists. And this is back to Nolte and Breitbart. CNN is left-wing talk radio with pictures, and CNN is failing at that because MSNBC does it a whole lot better with superior production values and appealing anchors. CNN is also in a death loop. Unlike MSNBC, which is honest about its biases, CNN still poses as a news outlet. But CNN is constantly caught lying about the news or fabricating it. No one likes to be lied to, not even Democrats, which is why more Democrats watch MSNBC and even Fox News. CNN chief Jeff Zucker sold the soul of the 40-year-old CNN brand to enjoy a few good ratings months during the Trump years, and it worked, but only for a few months. Now CNN is disgraced, a national punchline, and other than pointing and laughing, no one pays attention to it anymore. And on the same subject, let's move to American greatness. This is Conrad Black from Monday. The sinking ship of the Democratic Media Alliance. Almost no one seems to grasp the colossal irony of the current American political condition. The unique quality of it is that the country is divided between two political forces which, in the tedious hyperbole of contemporary political jargon, view each other as an existential threat to democracy. The Democrats can't sell the bunk that January 6th was an insurrection. They can't wish away concerns about the integrity of the 2020 election. All they have is the tired claim that Trump is a threat to democracy. And in their advocacy of that falsehood, they have made themselves the threat to democracy. Trump emerged politically in 2015 to universal mockery. Nothing could have been more certain than that this vulgar and sleazy huckster, as he was portrayed, not without some reason, would bomb out trying to recollaborate his downmarket celebrity brand to catapult him into the White House. As Trump cleaned up in the 2016 Republican primaries, the Democratic strategists reached to the bottom of their campaign bag of tricks. Late in the campaign came the 11-year-old Billy Bush tape in which Trump made some inelegant locker room macho comments about how a celebrity could take almost unlimited liberties with women. This failed to kill him. It was stale, dated, and not exactly a startling revelation. It also happened to be true. Next, the Democrats produced a pastiche of lies and defamations collected by a former British intelligence officer that, with the illegal collaboration of the senior intelligence agencies and the FBI, was leaked to the media as the fruit of an intelligence investigation and thus did not require journalistic corroboration. Despite fervent efforts to get this story out, it had only just broken the surface when Trump won the election. 
The Democrats then instantly switched from inevitable Clinton victory mode to impeachment mode and fastened the lead weight of the completely fabricated Trump-Russia election-fixing collusion fraud around Trump's ankle. When Trump announced that the Obama administration had been tapping his campaign telephones, the media thunderously declared that he had no proof. Yet when the proof eventually emerged, they had moved on the first of the phony impeachments over an unexceptionable call to the president of Ukraine. Finally, COVID enabled a mighty smear job of Trump as anti-science and forced an economic and academic shutdown that allowed the hostile media to blame him for the resulting recession. Although Trump had a successful administration, practically eliminating illegal immigration, unemployment and oil imports, shaping up the Western alliance and deterring China, North Korea and Iran from the endless provocations they had inflicted on previous presidents, it was impossible for him to defend himself against conditions created by the COVID pandemic and magnified by the Trump-hating media. For good measure, the Democrats seized the opportunity created by the pandemic to alter election and vote counting laws in the six swing states they focused on. Arizona, Georgia, Michigan, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin. In an election of 156 million voters and more than 40 million harvested ballots, i.e. those of unverifiable validity and cast by people other than those to whom the votes ostensibly belonged, where a shift of 46,000 votes in Pennsylvania and any two of Arizona, Georgia and Wisconsin would have flipped the election to Trump in the Electoral College. 2020 takes its place along with the highly contested contests of 1876, 1960, and 2000. It's not clear who really won. Hayes and Tilden worked out a deal. Nixon declined Eisenhower's urging to challenge the 1960 election as he thought it would be bad for the country, for which he has received no credit from all the authors and beneficiaries of the vast Kennedy mythos. Al Gore, at least, received a rush day in court. Yet the judicial system abdicated in 2020 and the Supreme Court declined to hear the claim of the attorney general of Texas, supported by 18 other states against the swing states, that they had violated the constitutional duty to ensure a fair election. None of the issues involving the integrity of the election on constitutional grounds was tried on the merits. And Trump and his followers are right in their anger at not having received a serious judicial hearing. After the 95% anti-Trump national political media conducted Joe Biden's campaign for him as he hid from the pandemic, the oligarchic social media platform cartel canceled and banished Trump and the New York Post from their platforms. Trump's opponents outspent him two to one, including $419 million from Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg, practically all of which went to Democrat precincts. And by the way, he spent more in on the January 5th, 2021 runoff in Georgia and scammed the polls in several of the swing states. Democrats and anti-Trump Republicans achieved a Pyrrhic electoral victory. Their only argument for the last six years has been vilification of Trump. And the only fragment of that tired screed that still resonates at all is that Trump is a gangster and a putschist who revealed his tendencies with a supposed insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th. In the circumstances, Trump was restrained. The last thing he wanted was vandalism at the Capitol by anyone claiming to support him. The Democrats, along with America and the world, are now stuck with the most incompetent administration in the country's history. Biden clearly lacks the mental energy required of such a challenging position, and Kamala Harris simply seems to be a moron. None of their policies attract majority support from the country, and their great COVID ally of 2020 is now an albatross around their necks. 
Inflation is eating the incomes of the middle and working classes. The southern U.S. border is open not only to millions of destitute people, but to a large number of serious undesirables who are flooding in. China, Russia, Iran are all exploiting American weakness, and the departure from Afghanistan was the greatest military fiasco in U.S. history. Consequently, Democratic leaders in Congress have effectively given up getting the grossly unfeasible Build Back Better giveaway through and are pushing their only re-election hope, the Freedom to Vote and John R. Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Acts. These measures would make it difficult to update voting rolls, would ban highly popular voter ID rules, expand mail-in balloting, restrict efforts to validate signatures, and promote ballot harvesting. When taken with the Democrat effort to admit as many people as possible to the United States and permit them to vote without the irritating bourgeois formality of first becoming citizens, this is a recipe for ensuring that the Democrats and lookalike Republicans never again suffer the embarrassment that they did in 2016 of actually losing an election to a conservative opponent. In all of their antics, from the Trump-Russia collusion nonsense through the very questionable election and now the effort to impose a durable theft of an electoral advantage implausibly disguised as protecting African-American voting rights, the Democrats have forced Republicans to denounce the Democrats as the real threat to democracy. The national political media, complicit as they are in the Russia hoax and other anti-Trump frauds, have confirmed their embrace of the Democrats come what may. They are staring down the barrel of a Trump return in 2024, either personally or through a candidate he endorses in varying states of denial. The distinguished Brit Hume, not apparently a Trump hater, still claims Trump has no legitimate complaint over the 2020 election. He knows better. Peggy Noonan, otherwise the most gracious of women, writes viciously about Trump while still giving this waxworks effigy of a president advice on how to be a more effective orator. Andrew McCarthy, an outstanding legal scholar and former prosecutor and quasi-Trump hater, took the Russian bunk much too seriously and is now reduced to acknowledging that Trump had just complaints about the COVID-related voting regulation changes, but that they may have been legal. If they facilitated a materially tainted election result, very likely, McCarthy knows as well as anyone that the Democrat vote rigging daring do in the swing states was not legal. The Democratic media have been exposed as morally bankrupt in their rabid partisanship and dishonesty. The Democratic Media Alliance gambled everything on 2020, but in corrupting democracy in the name of protecting the country from an enemy of democracy and in inflicting upon America an almost totally incompetent administration, the Democrats and their media allies tied themselves to a sinking ship. Donald Trump has many failings, but he is no threat to democracy. The elites have failed. The bipartisan political class, cowardly big business leaders, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, Hollywood, professional sports, almost all the political media and the academy all have failed miserably. This is now a war to the political death and the Democrats have had their great feast of Belshazzar and they will soon learn that they have been weighted in the balance and have been found wanting by the people. And Conrad Black is always worth reading. That's just spectacular. I would note there at the end that he describes the confluence of all the most powerful institutions, organizations, and people in the world and understands that they are all set out against Trump and against the America First movement. Why? It's because they are aligned with the global agenda. 
Again, this is something that I have premised my entire show on basically since the beginning. I wrote an essay in 2020, maybe in April or May of 2020 called On Theorism, where I discussed this exact thing. And I actually called it the old guard. I didn't realize that that term was already heavily in use in some parts of the internet community, let's say. And it describes much the same thing. This is what we are up against. All of that. And all of it needs to come down at once. The good part is that they have created situations on their own that have the potential to bring them down. The first, of course, is COVID, and the second is the stolen election. And that is why I have focused the story around those things, because this is the effort we are involved in now. I mentioned this occasionally, but I was having a conversation near the end of April in 2020 with a good friend of mine, and we probably had a three-hour conversation, really long talk. And I mentioned to him, I was like, you got to understand what the media is doing right now. Okay. Everything they tell us is through an anti-Trump lens. And if you're going to do that, then you are exposing yourself. People are going to understand the reality around them eventually. And then they will know who lied to them. And then they will figure out why they will also figure out what their repetition of those lies has done to them personally, okay? What it has done to their relationships, what it has done to their reputation moving forward. That is the moment when people are really going to flip one way or the other. Some of them are going to wake up and come to our side. Others will remain in complete denial and probably drive themselves utterly insane. And that might actually be dangerous for a while, but it's probably manageable compared to the current threat we're facing. But in that conversation and in recognizing what I just said, I, I said to my friend, you got to understand, man. When this all falls apart, this is the end of the media and the end of the Democrat Party. And I think the shape of that is becoming pretty clear. Now, again, I've been saying that for almost two years and it has been a long and frustrating wait, but we are still arriving at that end point. The central narrative has completely collapsed. So the media is basically done. No one is going to trust these media companies again. Sooner or later, even MSNBC is going to lose those 33% of their audience who are still sticking around because they will realize that MSNBC has also lied to them. Yes, maybe Rachel Maddow is a better television host for a child-brained audience than Don Lemon is. Okay, we don't have to dispute that. But she still lies to them all the time. She still tries to convince them that Russian collusion was real. That is so dangerous to her future. And of course, that's why she's leaving. So that when people finally do get mad at her, no one knows. There's a headline here or there. Some people talk about it on Twitter. But Rachel Maddow will be out of the public eye for the most part and largely forgotten about the damage she did, the propaganda she spewed. She's trying to get a free pass on that, but people will remember ultimately her reputation will be destroyed and the entire media is headed that direction. And as we move further through this COVID narrative and that continues to collapse and we get into 
the election fraud narrative again, and it will rise back up to the surface, especially with all the pressure that Joe Biden and the rest of the Democrat Communist Party is putting on this ridiculous Voting Rights Act. By the way, there were two bills at the time Conrad Black wrote that, but they have now combined them and then passed it through the House with zero Republican support. And so now it goes to the Senate. But Kirsten Cinema also came out today and said that there was no way that she would support ending the filibuster to be able to pass this. We will see if they have some Republicans in there as a backup plan. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. But before that, I want to do one more story about how we are in the narrative endgame and the power players who are losing their power completely are beginning to freak out. This is from the Daily Mail this morning. The headline is 270 doctors and scientists sign open letter to Spotify calling for it to stop Joe Rogan from spreading anti-vax misinformation after he hosted virologist who called vaccination program a mass formation psychosis. And it's a little funny, isn't it? That the doctor's response to this is to attack the mass formation psychosis part because that grabbed the headlines rather than focusing on the things he said to which their expertise applies but also that they have now actively made themselves, not that they weren't before, but they have clearly made themselves part of what's driving the mass formation psychosis. And the truth is they are part of the mass formation psychosis as well, even though they're the experts. Oh, it only happens to stupid people. No, it happens to literally everyone who possesses a child's brain inside their skull. Hundreds of doctors and scientists have signed an open letter to Spotify accusing Joe Rogan of pushing anti-vax misinformation on his podcast, with one branding him a menace to public health. <laughs> oh, he's the one that prevented people from getting ivermectin, even though it saves lives. Oh, no, that was you guys. Joe Rogan is the one who told people about it. A total of 270 experts and medical professionals called on the streaming giant to adopt a misinformation policy after the comedian hosted the controversial Dr. Robert Malone last month. And look at that. They're attacking the podcasts and Brookings has a study and Joe Biden wants to censor your shows. It seems like a pattern is forming. During a three-hour and six-minute interview on the now-viral episode 1757, I love how they tell people exactly how to find it, of the Joe Rogan experience, Malone compared the U.S. to Nazi Germany and said today's society was suffering from a mass formation psychosis over the use of vaccines. And by the way, Robert Malone was on War Room this morning and said to his latest knowledge, 50 million listens to that episode, 50 million. You got that? How many did CNN average throughout their week? 548,000. Joe Rogan's show with Dr. Malone, as it was with Dr. Peter McCullough, is much, much, much bigger, 10 times bigger than all of the cable networks combined. Malone also claimed to be part of the team that invented the mRNA technology used in the COVID-19 jab and said pharmaceutical companies administering vaccines such as Pfizer and Moderna have financial conflicts of interest. And I love how they imply that he wasn't that. 
Now hundreds of medical professionals have fact-checked Malone and demanded accountability from Spotify, which spent a reported $100 million on exclusive streaming rights to the Joe Rogan experience last year. In an open letter, they said, with an estimated 11 million listeners per episode, JRE, which is hosted exclusively on Spotify, is the world's largest podcast and has tremendous influence. Spotify has a responsibility to mitigate the spread of misinformation on its platform, though the company presently has no misinformation policy, and they do have no such responsibility. The letter claims Rogan has a penchant for broadcasting misinformation, particularly regarding the COVID-19 pandemic, and that the episode with Malone promoted baseless conspiracy theories, including an unfounded theory that societal leaders have hypnotized the public. The letter added, Dr. Malone is one of two recent JRE guests who has compared pandemic policies to the Holocaust. These actions are not only objectionable and offensive, but also medically and culturally dangerous. Okay, doctors. In the episode posted on New Year's Eve, Malone 61 said, it was from basically European intellectual inquiry into what the heck happened in Germany in the 20s and 30s. Very intelligent, highly educated population, and they went barking mad. And how did that happen? The answer is mass formation psychosis. When you have a society that has become decoupled from each other and has free floating anxiety in a sense that things don't make sense. We can't understand it. And then their attention gets focused by a leader or series of events on one small point, just like hypnosis. They literally become hypnotized and can be led anywhere. Streaming giant YouTube removed the episode from its platform, while Malone's Twitter account, which had amassed 500,000 followers, was suspended hours before appearing on the show for violating its rules. The episode was still available on Spotify on Thursday. DailyMail.com has contacted Spotify and Joe Rogan Experience for comment. Dr. Katrina Wallace, who signed the letter, branded Rogan a menace to public health, adding that she condemned giving people like Malone a platform. She told Rolling Stone that his claims are fringe ideas, not backed in science. She added, having it on a huge platform makes it seem like there are two sides to this, this issue. And there are really not. Wow, man. Wow. A very astute, very serious doctor believes that her opinion is unassailable and infallible. That is incredible. That's almost, not quite, but almost like when Anthony Fauci called himself the science. And she goes on. The overwhelming evidence is the vaccine works and it is safe. And that is not the evidence at all. It is amazing how these people think of their treatments in regards to safety, okay? They think that because only 20,000 people appear in the VAERS list, even though, even though many people have done serious work on that and think that it may be 40 times higher or 20 times higher, which would mean hundreds of thousands of deaths from the vaccine. But let's say the 20,000, right? They say to themselves, well, we've given out 200 million doses. So that's actually a minute percentage. Except the problem with that argument is that the vaccine actually doesn't work at all. And it actually makes people's immune systems worse. And it actually creates variants. And all of that is just how it is now. It's not conspiracy theory anymore. There are studies around the world showing all of those claims to be true. 
And so the vaccine that does not prevent transmission, infection, serious illness or death is also not at all safe. So there is no positive reason for anyone to take it. And there is that downside reason not to take it. And so it doesn't actually matter what percentage are dying already, by the way. It's only dying already. They have no idea about what the long-term consequences are. We are starting to form an idea, but that idea actually makes the vaccine look far worse than we see it to be now. So on the positive side, there is virtually or maybe even absolutely no benefit to taking any of these vaccines, no matter how many times you take them. And on the downside, we have lost 20,000 people for absolutely no reason. Okay, that is a major downside for no upside in terms of how the left was talking about covid. That would be six and two thirds, nine 11s, or it would be an entire NBA stadium. That's how they were describing covid deaths. That is is now how we can describe the vaccine death on the absolute bottom minimum possible total deaths. All right. The number is surely higher than what appears in VAERS. And we know that to be true. And so 20,000 people have died from this poisonous vaccine and no one has been saved. Virtually no one. We can pretend that some people might have been. I guess it's possible that some people might have been. It was either Stephen Hatfill or Harvey Risch on the war room yesterday who said that we were killing 15 people with the vaccine to save one 15 people dead to potentially save one person. And that's what these doctors call very safe and effective. And I'll just do one more quote because this article just keeps going. Dr. Ben Ryan, a neuroscientist at Stanford University who co-authored the letter added, People who don't have the scientific or medical background to recognize the things he's saying are not true and are unable to distinguish fact from fiction are going to believe what Malone is saying. And this is the biggest podcast in the world. And that's terrifying. Isn't that incredible? Robert Malone is a career vaccinologist who is president of an organization of 16,000 doctors. And they are still trying to make him out as a conspiracy theorist and still trying to tell child brains that all of us are too dumb to discern. Oh, they're too dumb. They're going to take what he's saying and think it's true. No, we already know what he's saying is true. We have all the research to back it up, too. We've been saying this stuff for a very long time and we know where the papers are. Where are your papers? That prove that masks work. Where are those? The CDC made its own study once and it didn't show a statistically significant improvement with mask mandates, but that didn't stop the media from running headlines that mask mandates were very effective. They're not. Where are you on that, Dr. Ben Ryan, a neuroscientist at Stanford? How come the neuroscientist at Stanford? gets all the credit from the central narrative and Dr. Robert Malone doesn't and Jay Bhattacharya doesn't and Sunetra Gupta doesn't and Martin Kuldorf doesn't and Harvey Risch doesn't. We're still in the phase of calling world-renowned experts 
in the subject matter conspiracy theorists in order to shut them up. And right now we have them trying to pressure Spotify into censorship. And they are doing this in service of big pharma companies and the global agenda regime. There is nothing else that you need to know about this. Now for some more hysterical COVID propaganda. The U.S. is facing an alarmingly low rate of child vaccinations. Authorities say only 17 percent of children are fully vaccinated nationwide. Two months after the shot was authorized for five to 11 year olds. But it varies by state. Vermont has a 48 percent vaccination rate for that age group, while Mississippi has a just five percent rate. Meanwhile, hospitalizations among children under 18 with covid in the U.S., have climbed to their highest levels on record in the past few weeks. So Morning Mika is having a meltdown over the fact that only 17% of the eligible children have been vaccinated so far. That means 83% of the kids are not. That is a huge number of parents saying absolutely not to vaccinating their children. 17%. Okay. 83% of kids unvaccinated must certainly include parents who have been vaccinated and just don't want to do it to their kids. And the only reasons for that could possibly be that they have had negative vaccine reactions and don't want their kids to experience the same things, or they have actually looked into what the vaccines are, and they are coming to understand that they are not the sorts of things that you should inject into your child. That means a huge percentage of the people in the country of parenting age are either on or coming to our side. So Morning Mika is having a meltdown over something that will inevitably save children's lives. That's where we are right now. So I've been talking a bunch this week about the documents that came to Project Veritas and update to what I said yesterday. It actually wasn't Major Murphy who brought those documents to Veritas, according to Veritas. So he is separate from whoever gave the documents over to them, which means we have more allies, which is good. Today, a group of six Republican congressmen sent a letter to the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, the Secretary of Health and Human Services, Javier Becerra, who was California's attorney general during the stolen 2020 election, and Rochelle Walensky, the director for the CDC. On January 20th, 2020, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention confirmed the first case of COVID-19 in the United States from samples taken on January 18th in the state of Washington. But for many of us, the pandemic truly started with two weeks to stop the spread, announced on March 16th, 2020. Since then, Americans have endured lockdowns, the looming specter of infection and illness, and unprecedented medical mandates. Now, nearly two years later, the question remains. What is the true origin of the coronavirus, also known as SARS-CoV-2? For the most part, our legacy media has not been much help, willfully neglecting to investigate the improbable claims of Chinese Communist Party propagandists and mindlessly repeating bureaucratic talking points. Too often, our media uses headlines to sensationalize the mundane, allowing the pursuit of ratings to obscure the significant. 
Media coverage of U.S. Senator Rand Paul's intense questioning of Dr. Fauci stands as a classic example. The media portrayed this as mere interpersonal political conflict, irascible senator versus put upon public servant. But there is much more to this story. Senator Paul's questions countered by Dr. Fauci's smug, egocentric, obfuscatory responses illuminated an issue that, if proven true, will be remembered as one of the biggest scandals in American history, namely whether the United States had, through its official medical apparatus, contributed to the creation of the coronavirus by CCP scientists in the Wuhan Institute of Virology. Recently, new information has come to light, detailing just how this may have occurred and by what methods a cover-up may have evolved. These documents appear to substantiate not only Senator Paul's and others' critiques of Dr. Fauci, but also the cloud of suspicion that the frankly unbelievable bureaucratic answers to simple questions have generated over the last two years. Based on the evidence presented by leaked official documents, we demand answers to the following questions. One. Was the DARPA report referenced in Project Veritas's video of January 10th, 2022, actually, quote, hidden in a top secret share drive, end quote, and if so, why? Two, what is the DARPA protocol for determining whether a report should be classified or unclassified? Further, who at DARPA is responsible for withholding release of the original report detailing the issues with the proposed EcoHealth Alliance project? Three. If the inclusion of this report in a top secret folder was a mistake, what is the DARPA protocol for ensuring that this type of mistake does not recur? Four, did Dr. Fauci and or NIAID fund Project Diffuse at facilities in Wuhan and in the U.S. as alleged by Major Joseph Murphy in a report to the Inspector General? Even after DARPA rejected the idea because it came too close to violating regulations against gain of function research. Further, what facilities in the U.S. also participated in this research? Five, millions of Americans suffered as curatives were hidden for unknown reasons. To what extent, if any, was there any attempt to suppress potential curatives identified in Major Murphy's report? Six, what is the extent of EcoHealth Alliance's collaboration with Wuhan Institute of Virology in the creation of SARS-CoV-2? Seven, did the NIH, NIAID, and or EcoHealth Alliance change the definition of gain-of-function research with an eye to bypass the moratorium on gain-of-function research. Eight, do Dr. Fauci, NIH, and or NIAID recognize the danger that, quote, nebulous definitions of gain-of-function research pose to international health? Nine, was Dr. Fauci party to or co-conspirator with any effort to mislead the American public? Was he aware of NIH funding gain-of-function research and the true origins of the coronavirus? Answers to these questions are necessary to assign responsibility for a pandemic that has stolen the lives of many, deprived millions of school children of their education, and bankrupted small businesses. In our system of government, based on popular representation, honest answers are a must, forming the basis for accountability and preparation for other crises that may arise. In our capacity as members of the U.S. House of Representatives, we demand answers to restore faith in our institutions and organs of government, faith that has been tested by continued dissembling from those in charge. With honest, fact-based answers, we may collectively turn the page on this chapter of history and move forward. As Thomas Jefferson said, honesty is the first chapter in the book of wisdom. And those questions should be answered. 
And I know the reaction. Oh, well, that's not going to do anything. It's all a part of the process. Okay. It's step by step by step by step. It is slow. It is frustrating, but that's what we are dealing with. Okay. There's not another choice. Giving up means that you just accept your future as a slave to this system. And you know that that's where they're going. Okay. They are already doing the microchip tracking thing in Sweden. That is what they have planned. And it is going to contain your vaccine status. And then eventually it will contain your social credit score. And it will contain your global currency account. And it will keep record of the things you buy to assign you a carbon credit score. And all of these things will dictate how much of society you are allowed to participate in. And how about when it starts to track the websites you visit and what you read? People imagine that the only shutdown of information is the outgoing shutdown, right? That that's the only side of censorship. But they can also censor what you see. And what happens when your ability to participate in society depends on you not listening to shows like mine, not reading news from the sites like you read news from? What happens then? What happens when your internet search history becomes part of your social credit score and how much you're allowed to participate in society is dependent on that? And we don't even have to get as far as the microchip point to do that. Once we start accepting the elements of these things that they can do with our mobile phones, we are already most of the way there. Okay. We are doing the work for them by accepting this. So alternatively, look at positive news as positive news and keep pushing forward. And now let's check out the latest narrative shift attempt by the illegitimate administration and the illegitimate House of Representatives supporting them. This is Marjorie Taylor Greene this morning on War Room. To grab the federal apparatus to steal elections at every level. They're playing games. They're talking about forcing the hand of the filibuster, but the House is deeply involved in this too, and it's not being reported. Can you tell us what's going on in the House on the voting rights? Yes. So while you're seeing Joe Biden go down to Georgia and and spew out a bunch of nonsense about how Republicans are suppressing people's right to vote, which is a complete lie, uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats were up to playing their stupid, dirty tricks like they usually do yesterday here in Congress. See, we were on the House floor like at 1030 last night voting on a rule for a bill. It was a simple bill. Actually, it was about funding for NASA. So this is the type of things that we do in Congress. We, we fund different parts of our government. And uh, the bill, though, it got it got changed. So in the Rules Committee, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats added in a bunch of the voting rights language so that they could try to sneak it in this bill under a NASA bill, pairing it together. And it, it's going to pass through the House. We voted on the rule last night and then we have to vote on it again today. And so they'll pass it through the House so they can send it over to the Senate and put pressure on senators like, you know, they should feel guilty if they don't fund NASA. So they've got to vote for this, but it would give them a great win with the voting right. And this is why the filibuster is so, so important. We can't let the Democrats blow up the filibuster. Every single Republican, uh, Mitch McConnell, better better learn to stand up straight and, and act like a Republican, protect the filibuster. And hopefully Joe Manchin and, and Cinema hold to their word. 
So MTG just gave us the picture of what we must look out for. Okay. They know the Democrats know that they are not going to get the Voting Rights Act passed through the Senate as it stands right now. Manchin and Cinema have already come out against blowing up the filibuster. So they're going to try to reroute all the things they want by putting them in another bill, in the NASA spending bill. And then they're going to say that Republicans who don't want to pass the bill are anti-science. And they're probably going to use the same against Manchin and Cinema. Although it's possible that they are doing this for Manchin and Cinema because this is something they believe they can attach their name to without getting in political trouble. So it is our job to make sure that that's not allowed to happen. The Republicans in the Senate cannot be allowed to pass this NASA spending bill if it has the voting rights stuff in it, period. But once again, we should note this is absolute total desperation on the part of Democrats because they know that there is no way they could possibly win a legal election. And part of the way they know this is because they haven't done that in a long time and certainly didn't in 2020. And speaking of Republicans in the Congress, boom segue, let's go to CNN.com for a moment. This is Zachary Cohen, Annie Grayer, and Ryan Nobles, three reporters reporting a simple piece of news. This is from January 12th, 2022. And by the way, when they have three reporters in a byline here, it's always fun to go down to the bottom of the article and see who else contributed to the report. And of course, they have CNN's Morgan Rimmer and Manu Raju, which means that what they do is compile little pieces of other reports and then just copy and paste them into this report to make it look more substantial. It is such a joke how CNN does news. It is just so embarrassing. The headline, McCarthy says he will not cooperate with January 6th committee probe. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy said he will not cooperate with a request from the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot. Hours after the panel asked the California Republican to voluntarily provide information, including details about former President Trump's state of mind during the Capitol attack and in the weeks after. What a joke. As a representative and the leader of the minority party, it is with neither regret nor satisfaction that I have concluded not to participate with this select committee's abuse of power that stains this institution today and will harm it going forward, McCarthy said in a statement Wednesday night. The Republican leader charged that the committee, quote, is not conducting a legitimate investigation, end quote citing House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's rejection of some of his picks to serve on the panel and claimed that it is not serving any legislative purpose. The truth is Nancy Pelosi rejected all of his picks to go on the panel. There are only two nominal Republicans on that committee, Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger, neither of whom are actually Republicans. Liz Cheney is already kicked out of the Wyoming Republican conference. They got together and decided, as far as we are concerned, Liz Cheney is no longer a Republican. And McCarthy honestly should be doing the same thing in the Congress. Liz Cheney and Adam Kinzinger are not Republicans. Adam Kinzinger is not running 
next time because he knows he will get destroyed. He'll say it's about redistricting, but he knows he will get destroyed. Adam Kinzinger and Liz Cheney are not Republicans. There are no Republicans on that committee. The committee's vice chairwoman, Republican Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, did not rule out the possibility of the panel subpoenaing McCarthy in the future, saying late Wednesday, we're going to evaluate our options, but we will get to the truth. (laughs) Oh, man. The committee's request to McCarthy, detailed in a new letter released Wednesday, marks a significant moment in the ongoing investigation as the panel is now seeking cooperation from the top Republican in the House. Quote, we must also learn about how the president's plans for January 6th came together and all the other ways he attempted to alter the results of the election, wrote committee chairman Benny Thompson, a Democrat from Mississippi. For example, in advance of January 6th, you reportedly explained to Mark Meadows and the former president that objections to the certification of the electoral votes on January 6th was doomed to fail. And the CNN article goes on. It's hilarious that they have to write this. And the key point here is that Kevin McCarthy is now out saying clearly that the January 6th commission is illegitimate. It is illegitimate. It was not formed in the prescribed way. Okay. They went around the rules. They completely violated the rules and they did so in service of this ridiculous narrative that somehow contesting the stolen election is the recipe for a violent domestic terrorist insurrection. And that narrative is collapsing. All of their narratives are collapsing. The only one they still cling to is the hatred of their child-brained followers for Donald Trump and his supporters. Those are the only people left with them. And if you don't believe me, let's take a look at the polls. This is from Town Hall. New poll shows Biden approval absolutely collapsing. This is Spencer Brown. The latest survey from Quinnipiac has more bad news for President Joe Biden as he nears the one year mark of his administration. Just one third of Americans approve of the job he's done so far. The survey found that, quote, Americans give President Joe Biden a negative 33 to 53 percent job approval rating translated by Quinnipiac to mean a rocky start for President Biden gets him low grades on his year one report card. And let's be clear here. That leaves another 14% of people who say they don't know. (laughs) I'm not sure whether I approve of Biden or not. Well, the truth is I don't approve of him, but I'm worried what you'll think of me if I say that. That's how that segment can be broken down. Joe Biden is approved of by one in three people in this country. One third, one third. If those numbers hold, For the entirety of the party, the Democrats will lose everything everywhere. The party will be over, but those numbers will not hold. They'll actually get worse. And Quinnipiac is a left leaning polling organization. This is the best they can get for him. Broken down by party affiliation, the disapproval versus approval is more of what observers have come to expect. Republicans, 95 to 2 percent, 95 percent of Republicans disapprove of Biden. Democrats approval sits at 75 percent with 14 percent saying they disapprove and another 11 percent being scared to respond. 
you'll notice that only 3% of Republicans said they don't know whether or not they like Joe Biden. And independents, 57% disapprove, only 25% approve. So independents, you know, the centrists, the moderates, apparently they're the most scared of everybody to actually answer this question because that's 18% of them don't know. So Joe Biden has 25% of independents and, you know, honestly, 2% of Republicans is, as Boris Epstein always mentions, that's within the margin of error. It might as well be zero. So the thread that Joe Biden's fake administration is clinging to is this 75% of Democrats that we are still perceiving as a very big portion of the population, but they're not a very big portion of the population. Imagine that voter registries in the states around the country were actually cleaned up and all the inactive voters were purged. All the fake voters were purged. Would anybody believe that the Democrat Party is as big as they say it is? Of course it isn't. They have millions and millions and millions of inactive voter registrations around the country that say Democrat on them. The Democrat Party is shrinking, and it's because their policies, now that they have come to the light of day, are so obviously bad. And not only are they so obviously bad, they are downright immoral, and the country is rejecting them in full. People are leaving the Democrat Party. So the Democrat Party that they are polling, people who still identify themselves as Democrats, is getting smaller and smaller, and it's getting smaller in a certain way, okay? It is getting smaller because the only people left there are the ones who are extremist enough to still say that Joe Biden is doing a good job. This 75% of Democrats, who are they? right? They are the craziest people in our society. They are completely disconnected from reality and they are shrinking even with that. Notching such low levels of approval is as bad as it gets, noted Josh Crashour. Quinnipiac also found that 39% of Americans believe President Biden is, quote, doing a worse job than expected. 49% say, quote, Biden is doing more to divide the country. 54% quote, think the nation's economy is getting worse. And 70% say the economy is not so good or poor. 70% of Americans believe the economy is not so good or poor. The number of people who are still closed off to what we are saying and the reality that we are trying to show them right in front of their faces. That number is so small and it's getting smaller. It's to the point where you can go to a normal dinner party and speak out with truth. And most of the people there will either back you up or quietly agree with you. The amount of pushback people are able to give now is getting smaller and smaller and smaller because even the people who will say they like this understand that they are doing that to cover their asses and that things actually are as bad as everyone is saying they are. They just won't admit it because they are good, loyal servants of the state. 
They are useful idiots and they will continue to be until something wakes them up out of their malaise. A lack of approval among independents is what has Democrats scared and Republicans licking their chops now that the country's attention turns toward this November's midterm elections, which will decide which party controls the House of Representatives and Senate, where Democrats currently have razor thin majorities. President Biden's prospective ability to help raise money and awareness for Democrat candidates is already lackluster at best. But with approval ratings in the dumpster like this among independents, it's hard to imagine Biden swinging key voting blocks to Democrats in tight races. It's no doubt part of the reason Georgia Democrat gubernatorial hopeful Stacey Abrams didn't appear with President Biden this week in her home state for his speech about her banner issue. Joe Biden is toxic. And the article goes on. There was also a poll done by News Nation asking for COVID info, which of the following sources would you say you trust? Select all that apply. Only 31% of people trust Anthony Fauci. Just under 50% trust the CDC and the FDA. And only 15.5% trust Joe Biden. Only 15% of the country trusts the fake president about the very scary pandemic. And these numbers together, the COVID stuff, the approval ratings, the small, minute number of children whose parents have signed them up for the medical experiment. All of this indicates a massive shift in our direction and the fact that people are not addicted to the central narrative in the same numbers as they were. It is falling apart completely. And just as a small prelude to what I'm going to get into finally, USA Today, the paper that used to appear in front of everyone's hotel room door, put out an article the other day, I think maybe it was Monday or Tuesday, promoting the idea that pedophilia is misunderstood by the public, attempting to normalize pedophilia. And this is just a brief write-up from Fox News from yesterday. USA Today torched for promoting complicated study on pedophilia. USA Today published an article on Monday that argued about the misconceptions the public has on pedophiles, which ignited a firestorm of backlash on social media. The article was originally titled, What the Public Keeps Getting Wrong About Pedophilia, written by national correspondent Alia E. Dastagir, whatever. Throughout the article, Dastagir cites researchers who study pedophilia, who argue that pedophilia or the attraction to minors is misunderstood as being synonymous with child sexual abuse. And this is an argument that keeps bubbling up over the last few years. And, you know, if people want to talk about this, in a philosophical sense, okay, but that is not what these kind of articles are intended to do. What they are intended to do is normalize a behavior in people's minds. It gives them the idea that sometimes maybe it's okay. And if sometimes it's okay, then what we have to have is understanding for everyone who happens to be a pedophile. Pedophilia is viewed as among the most horrifying social ills, but scientists who study the sexual disorder say it is also among the most misunderstood, Dastagir wrote. 
When most of the public thinks of pedophilia, they assume it's synonymous with child sexual abuse, a pervasive social problem that has exploded to crisis levels online. Researchers who study pedophilia say the term describes an attraction, not an action, and using it interchangeably with abuse fuels misperceptions. USA Today promoted the piece with several tweets throughout Tuesday. When most of the public thinks of pedophilia, they assume it's synonymous with child sexual abuse. A pedophile is an adult who is sexually attracted to children, but not all pedophiles abuse kids. And some people who sexually abuse kids are not pedophiles. One tweet read. Critics wasted no time in slamming USA Today for publishing the article with many claiming they are attempting to normalize pedophilia. And then the article goes on. USA Today eventually changed their headline and they deleted the series of tweets. Apparently, the country is not interested in the woke narrative on pedophilia and the agenda to normalize it. Now, what that was a prelude to is another piece in USA Today. I just wanted to give you an idea of where the editorial sensibilities of USA Today are at right now and also allow you to wonder what might cause someone to want to publish in USA Today right after they did that. But here's your answer. Today, former President Barack Obama published an editorial in the USA Today. We need to follow John Lewis's example and fight for our democracy. That's the headline. You got it? So we need to do what the civil rights leader would have done because our cause is just and righteous, just like civil rights. We're trying to steal elections to benefit the same black people that we torture with our terrible policies because only racism works now. Only racism works. Everything is racism. Anything that we need to sell you is going to be about racism. If you don't buy our product, you're racist. If you don't vote for us, you're racist. If you say anything bad about anything we do ever, you're racist. And this is Barack Obama. So understand how self-important all the words are. When I spoke at John Lewis's memorial service two years ago, I emphasized the truth. John knew better than just about anyone. Our democracy isn't a given. It isn't self-executing. We as citizens have to nurture it and tend it. We have to work at it. And in that task, we have to vigilantly preserve and protect our most basic tool of self-government, which is the right to vote. Did that sound very soulful? Do I sound like Barack Obama as a civil rights leader from a former era? That was what I was going for. Ha! Your impression is racist! At the time, various state legislators across the country had already passed a variety of laws designed to make voting harder. It was an attack on everything John Lewis fought for and a challenge to our most fundamental democratic freedoms. Since then, things have only gotten worse. <laughs> you got that? The guy who was elected as the first black president of the United States th thinks things have gotten worse since the civil rights era. Yeah, for real. While the American people turned out to vote at the highest rate in a century <laughs> in the last presidential election, members of one of our two major political parties spurred on by the then sitting president denied the results of that election and spun conspiracy theories that drove a violent mob to attack our capital. 
Although initially rejected by many Republicans, those claims continue to be amplified by conservative media outlets and have since been embraced by a sizable portion of Republican voters, not to mention GOP elected officials who do, or at least should, know better. Because we're going to get them if they keep saying it. We're going to destroy their lives. Those Republican officials and conservative thought leaders who have courageously stood their ground and rejected such anti-democratic efforts have found themselves ostracized, threatened, and subjected to primary challenges. Now, let's remember for a moment that this is Barack Obama, the most communist of all presidents prior to Joe Biden. Barack Obama. Well, you know, I guess he has some predecessors, but he still definitely takes the cake. He is aligning himself in that sentence with people like George W. Bush, Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney, Mitch McConnell, etc. Those are Barack Obama's allies, people who Barack Obama said were racist, sexist, homophobic, trying to take our country back to a former era where black people were slaves. George W. Bush and Dick Cheney, they were war criminals. They won an illegitimate election. Barack Obama literally ran on being the hope and change from the dark days of the George W. Bush administration. And now they're all good friends, good friends in the cause of making sure no one is allowed to talk about the stolen election. It seems like Barack Obama has some strange bedfellows. (laughs) Yeah, I made all the jokes you think I just made with that comment. If you thought of a joke that that comment would fit, that's the joke I made. Trust me, I meant all of them. Meanwhile, state legislators in 49 states have introduced more than 400 bills designed to suppress votes. Some of these bills we've seen before. Legislation that would discourage voters, including racial minorities, low-income voters, and young people from casting a ballot. Sorry, sometimes I just feel like Barack. I'm even doing a hand thing right now. Others aim to treat certain polling locations differently, creating one set of rules for voters living in cities and another set for people living in more conservative rural areas. You got that? Cities are all Democrat. Rural is all conservative. In This paradigm he sets up, what he is doing is allowing it to be implicit that the whites want their rules so that the whites can get the conservative stuff and take us back to those dark, dark days. But the cities, that's where the blacks are. And so urban white people are saving the black people by doing what Barack Obama says. You got to understand the racism is all the way in there. They pack it right into every single thing they do. We're also seeing more aggressive attempts to gerrymander congressional districts. As I just discussed on the podcast last week, the Democrats are the ones doing that and the ones gaining an advantage through doing that. Gerrymandering, which essentially allows politicians to choose their voters instead of the other way around, isn't new and both parties have engaged in it. But what we are seeing now are far more aggressive and precise efforts on the part of Republican state legislatures to tilt the playing field in their favor. In states that have approved new congressional maps, 
There are now 15 fewer competitive districts than there were before. Fewer competitive districts increases partisanship since candidates who only have to appeal to primary voters have no incentive to compromise or move to the center. And it's interesting that he focuses on whether or not the districts are still competitive by their definitions. Why doesn't he just talk about the ones where Republicans have gained advantage? He is trying to make people assume that that means Republicans have stolen 15 districts. That's not at all the case. Finally, and perhaps most perniciously, we've seen state legislatures try to assert power over core election processes, including the ability to certify election results. Yes, as the law already states, they abdicated that duty in 2020 because they were feeling the pressure from Barack Obama and the rest of those aligned with the global agenda. These partisan attempts at voter nullification are unlike anything we've seen in modern times, and they represent a profound threat to the basic democratic principle that all votes should be counted fairly and objectively. Actually, the biggest partisan attempt at voter nullification is already something we have witnessed in real life, and it is called the 2020 election. The Republicans are not the party that changed all the election rules and regulations in order to steal the election by bringing in millions and millions of unrequested mail-in ballots sent out to all registered voters, even though voter rolls were millions above the actual number of active voters in their states. Republicans are not the ones who primarily received Mark Zuckerberg money to set up drop boxes and allow for further election fraud. Some Republican areas got that money. I wonder which ones. Is it the ones where they were electing rhinos rather than Democrats, as opposed to Republicans rather than Democrats? Yeah, it was. The good news is that the majority of American voters are resistant to this slow unraveling of basic democratic institutions and electoral mechanisms, but their elected representatives have a sacred obligation to push back as well. And now is the time to do it. Now there are bills in front of the Senate that would protect the right to vote, end partisan gerrymandering, and restore crucial parts of the Voting Rights Act. By the way, the way it's going to end partisan gerrymandering is by putting a committee in the federal government that gets to decide for us. The entire point of our system of government is that problems are handled best the closer you are to the source of the problem. That means if there are problems with voting districts in Virginia, the best people to decide the solution are Virginians. And that is how it has always been. That is what they are trying to remove. That is what the former president is trying to tell you. Bill sponsors have diligently reached out to their Republican colleagues to obtain their support. Sadly, almost every Senate Republican who expressed concern about threats to our democracy in the immediate aftermath of the January 6th insurrection has since been cowed into silence or reversed their positions. When one of the bills in front of the Senate today was introduced in November, every Democrat supported it and every Republican but one voted against moving it forward. Protecting our democracy wasn't always a partisan issue. The Voting Rights Act was the result of Democratic and Republican efforts, and both President Reagan and President George W. Bush signed its renewal when they were in office. But even if Senate Republicans now refuse to stand up for our democracy, Democrats should be able to get the job done with a simple majority vote. There are already 50 senators who support bills to safeguard elections. The only thing standing in the way is the filibuster, a Senate procedure that allows a minority of just 41 senators to prevent legislation from being brought up for a vote. Yes, 
like the rules say. Sorry, Barack. And here we go with Barack Obama advocating for the total abandonment of governmental norms. I was told that was a bad thing. Are you ready? The filibuster has no basis in the Constitution. Historically, the parliamentary tactic was used sparingly, most notably by Southern senators to block civil rights legislation and prop up Jim Crow. Oh, wait, Southern senators, which party were they in, Barack? It's so weird because you have attacked Republicans directly many times in this article, but you have conveniently not attacked them at certain points. The Southern senators 60 years ago who blocked this legislation were Democrats, Democrats. In recent years, the filibuster became a routine way for the Senate minority to block important progress on issues supported by the majority of voters. Indeed, the Democrats used it 300 times during the Trump administration. But we can't allow it to be used to block efforts to protect our democracy. That's why I fully support President Joe Biden's call to modify Senate rules as necessary to make sure pending votes, voting rights legislation gets called for a vote. And every American who cares about the survival of our most cherished institutions should support the president's call as well. For generations, Americans of every political stripe have taken pride in our status as the world's oldest continuous democracy. We have spilled precious blood and spent countless treasure in defense of democracy and freedom abroad. But as we learned during the Jim Crow era, sponsored by Democrats, our role as democracy's defender isn't credible when we violate the rights and freedoms of our own citizens. No kidding, which is why the world is laughing at us pretending to be that right now under Joe Biden, under your shadow government, Barack Obama. At a time when democracy is under attack on every continent, we can't hope to set an example for the world when one of our two major parties seems intent on chipping away at the foundation of our own democracy. No single piece of legislation can guarantee that we'll make progress on every challenge we face as a nation, but legislation that ensures the right to vote and makes sure every vote is properly counted, legal or not, every single vote got to properly count it, will give us a better chance of meeting those challenges. It's how we can overcome the gridlock and cynicism that's so prevalent right now. You understand that? They can usher in the entirety of their program with absolutely no check or balance as soon as you give them all the power they need to steal every election going forward. He just comes out and says it. Okay, you just have to understand the context he's speaking in and what he's actually talking about. That is exactly what they want. And he says it. It's how we can stop climate change. Oh, thank God. And reform our broken immigration system and ensure that our children enjoy an economy that works for everyone and not just a few. Now is the time for all of us to follow John Lewis's example. Now is the time for the U.S. Senate to do the right thing. <laughs> Spike Lee joint. America's longstanding grand experiment in democracy is being sorely tested. Future generations are counting on us to meet that test. Sometimes Barack Obama does a Southern accent, so I was doing that too. But there you have it. They're bringing out the biggest gun they have. Barack Obama, just a couple of days after Michelle Obama came out and said she was going to get a million new voters and they were all going to be real American citizens casting legal votes for sure. You don't even have to question it. In fact, you're not allowed to question it. So Michelle Obama goes on Monday or maybe it was Sunday, Sunday, Monday. That was the Michelle Obama day. 
Joe Biden goes and gives his big speech in Atlanta on Tuesday that everybody laughed at. And here we have Barack Obama on Thursday attempting to sway American opinion onto the side of the Democrat Communist Party so that they can pass the total takeover of elections forever. And he chose to do it in the newspaper that just published the piece supporting pedophilia. That, my friends, is desperation. They are desperate because the narrative has collapsed and they know that we are in the end game. And that was supposed to be my end point. But as soon as I started to export the show for today, I checked Telegram and found out the good news that the Supreme Court has blocked Biden's OSHA vaccine mandate in a six to three decision. So I may have more on that tomorrow, but I wanted to make sure you knew. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic and Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. Whether you're a total newbie to podcasting or even if you've had a show before like me, you know how intimidating it can be to start your show. The tech side especially can be daunting. That's why I'm so grateful Anchor exists. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. They knock down all the barriers to entry. Let me explain. First off, it's free. I don't know how or why, but I'm happy about it. The platform's great. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. I can't even begin to describe how much easier it was to get my show on all the major platforms this time than it was a few years ago. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. That's right. You build your show, you make money. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place, and the company is committed to the success of its content creators. Go download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Thanks for listening. Please follow the podcast on Instagram and Parler at I'm Your Moderator. Soon I'll be up on Rumble with a video aspect. In the meantime, if you'd like to support the show, I have a substack, I'm Your Moderator.substack.com, where you can donate. Or you can donate at anchor.fm by searching Be Reasonable with your moderator, Chris Paul. I hope to see you soon. Back out on the rain. Backing as moderator for tonight's broadcast. It's high noon! In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that 
is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!